that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power forever and ever. We celebrate you, O Christ, for youth who seek your presence in the beauty of creation and your compassion in the voices of others. We celebrate you, O Christ, for congregations who fill their lives with faith their voices with song, their hands with offerings, and their words with gratitude. Let us pray. O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And so now in this generation, on this day, dwell among us as we gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are God. We are mortals. You are from everlasting to everlasting. We are like grass. We flourish for a while and then we wither in your sight. So fill us this morning with your steadfast love so that, that we might rejoice and be glad all of our days. Grant us the vision to see with the eyes of faith, to see as Moses did into the promised land, to see the things that you will yet do in our lives and in our homes and in our church. Our hope is in you, O God. Amen.
welcome you here today. We're glad that you're here. A lot of people are out of town, but a lot of people are here, and a lot of our staff is out of town. Our musicians have kind of done a uh, rotation, so our usual song leader is on the piano, and Mark is filling in, uh, leading our songs, so we're kind of doing a fruit basket turnover. But we're glad that you're here today and welcome you and hope that you'll uh, be blessed by God as we worship God together today. We welcome our, our guests today, especially. You're very important to us, and we hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship the Lord together this morning. Uh, for our guests, we'd like to, uh, our first-time guests, we'd like to invite you to stop by our hospitality table after the worship service in the foyer. Uh, we have a gift for you, and uh, we'd love for you to uh, pick that up on your way out this, this morning. Let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each Isle, we'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out so we could have a record of your attendance with us and uh, give us as much information as you feel comfortable with. And especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter that comes out each week, please uh, leave your email uh, address on there and we will certainly um, put you on that list. Now let us spread the word of God and pass the peace of Christ and uh, greet each other in the name of the Lord as we stand and greet one another. Thank you so much. As you are taking your seats, uh, children, come on down for our children's moment. Miss Phyllis is going to lead us in our children's moment. So, children, come on down. Come on down, boys and girls. Gosh, y'all all look so nice today. Well, today... Dr. Tim is going to preach on don't be a people pleaser. What does it mean if we are a people pleaser? Do any of you know? Do you like to please people? Yeah, liking to please everybody uh, at school. You like to be popular, don't you? What's it mean if you're popular? Right, right. And and you get invited to parties and everybody likes you. And so uh, today we're talking about it's not necessarily bad to be popular, but sometimes trying to please everybody, we had to make some hard decisions. And so I'm going to tell you a story today about a little dog named Sam. Oh, how many of you all like dogs? Okay. And isn't this a cute dog? Okay, this little puppy was named Sam, and he was a cute little puppy. 
And uh, Sam had good puppy parents because they took him to puppy Sunday school every week. And in puppy Sunday school, Sam learned so many things about what Jesus wanted him to do and how he wanted him to act. But at school, Sam had a little bit of trouble making friends because Sam was a bashful puppy. And he wanted more than anything to have all the other puppies like him. Uh, He wanted to get invited to go to the birthday parties, but he didn't very much. When they chose up teams, the other doggies didn't ask Sam to be on the team. And, oh, he so wanted to join the other doggies. Well, one day, the big dogs came up to Sam at school. Uh, The big dogs are the leaders of the pack of dogs. And the big dogs said, hey, Sam, would you like to join our pack? Well, of course, Sam was so excited. And he said, yes. And they said, well, come on over and join our pack. Here's our pack of dogs. Well, this was what Sam wanted most of all. And so they said, now, if you join our pack, you're going to have to do all the things we do. And the little dog said, yes, I can do that. I can do that. So the very first thing when the pack got together was the big dog said, hey, you know what we're going to do this afternoon? You know that old Miss Smith that lives down the street? You know that great big flower bed that she built in her front yard? She's just worked and worked on that, and we're going to go down there and dig it up. And Sam thought, whoa. He said, come on, Sam. This will be your first time to do cool stuff with us. You want to be with the big dogs and the pack, don't you? Sam said, well, I don't know about that. And so they said, well, if you want to please us, you're going to come with the pack, and we're going to go down and dig up Miss Smith's fire bed. Well... Since Sam had been to puppy Sunday school a lot, there was a little voice down in Sam that said, not the right thing to do. What would Jesus do? He wouldn't be digging up Miss Smith's rose garden. So Sam said to the big dogs in the pack, I'm sorry, but I can't be in the pack because I can't do that. Well, of course, Sam got thrown out of the pack, but Sam did the right thing. And what I want you to remember, the moral of this story, I want you to look at this picture. Here's Sam, and it says, It's easy to stand with the crowd, but it takes courage to stand alone. Now, that means that sometimes people will ask you to do things that you know are not good things to do. And if you listen to your Sunday school teacher and you listen to Jesus talking in your heart, you'll do the brave, courageous thing like Sam did and you won't be a people pleaser or a puppy pleaser. You'll do the right choice. Now, I have this for you to take home and put on your refrigerator to remind you when you go to school or when you're playing with your friends in the neighborhood 
You don't want to be just in the pack of dogs. You're welcome. You want to always do the right thing. Here you go. There you go. Thank you. You can go back. Right. Good. You see our our uh, our show up here today. Sure. <laughs> Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> there it is, one through eight. It's the blind leading the blind. Apparently so. Which one of us is a, is the blind one? Uh, well, of us? Hey, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? God loves us anyway, doesn't He? We are part of that pack, are we? And you know what? <laughs> We're not part of that plaque, and we're not here to please any of these people. I guess not. You know, we're here to please God, right? Amen. <laughs> Read the scripture. Thank you. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> you can tell I'm married. <laughs> okay. 
1 through 8. Thessalonians 1 through 8. Okay. Boy, I tell you what. You just point her out there, buddy. Sorry about that. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick, trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be burdened to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. We say this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Oh, Lord, you speak to us in many ways on a daily basis. May we take your words out with us and spread your word to the others who will listen and hopefully follow in your path. Please not judge us and may we not judge others. We say this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to this altar today, Lord, to give our gifts. Lord, we ask that you bless this church, bless all these families represented today, Lord. And help us to remind us, Lord, that these gifts are to praise you and to honor you. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Summer, aren't we lucky? No, blessed. <laughs> Thank you, Summer. And we're so grateful for your talents and for sharing those with us. And we are grateful that, that our God does watch over us. A surgeon says that uh, one night during his residency, he, called, he was called out of a deep sleep to the emergency room. And so he came in there unshaven and his hair was all messed up. He was accompanied by an equally unpresentable medical student, and while they were in the ER, they encountered the on-call medical resident and his student, both neatly attired with clean white lab coats. And so the medical resident said to his student, you can always tell the surgeons by their absolute disregard for appearance. Well, two nights later, the same young surgical resident was at a banquet And he was called back to the ER for yet another emergency. And he was stitching away on his patient, but this time he was wearing a tuxedo. And he encountered that same medical resident and his student. And so the medical resident looked at the surgical resident, now wearing his tuxedo, and said to his student, sure is sensitive to criticism, isn't he? (laughs) Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever been unfairly criticized by someone else? A family member, perhaps, or a colleague, a customer, or even a friend. It happens to all of us. No one is exempt from it. In fact, the Gettysburg Address delivered by Abraham Lincoln is today considered one of the most eloquent speeches in the history of our nation. And yet the editor of the Chicago Times, which was a prominent newspaper of its day, ridiculed the address. On November the 20th, 1863, the day after Lincoln delivered his famous speech, the editor of the Times wrote this. 
He said the cheek of every American must tingle with shame as he reads the silly, fat and dishwatery utterances of the man who has been pointed out to intelligent foreigners as the president of the United States. Wow. Who's eating crow now? My friends, sooner or later, all of us have to deal with criticism. It comes to each of us. Now, let me ask you a second question. Has anybody ever tried to flatter you? In other words, have they ever tried to praise you extravagantly? Well, let me guess. We are not nearly as sensitive to flattery as we are to criticism, are we? I chuckled when I read a story about the late, great motivational speaker, Cabot Robert. Robert was a humble man, a kind man. Uh, he was also a very successful lawyer and businessman and the founder of the National Speakers Association. But Robert once told a story on himself about looking out of the window of his house one day and seeing a, a skinny little 12-year-old boy going door to door selling books. Then Robert noticed that he was coming towards his house. And so Robert turned to his wife and said, just watch me handle this kid. Just watch me teach this kid a lesson about selling. After all of these years of writing books about communication and lecturing all over the country, I might might as well share some of my wisdom with this kid. I don't want to hurt his feelings, but I'll get rid of him before he knows what happens. And and then I'll go back and teach him how to deal with people like me. Well, Mrs. Roberts stood back and watched as the 12-year-old kid knocked on the door. And Cabot opened the door and quickly explained that he was a very busy, busy man. He had no interest in buying any books, but he said, I'll give you one minute. One minute, but then I have to leave. I have have to catch a plane. Well... The young salesman was not daunted by Robert's brush off at all. He simply stared at this tall, gray haired, distinguished looking gentleman, a man that he knew was fairly well known and quite wealthy. And the boy said with a a sound of awe in his voice, sir, could you be the famous Cabot Robert? To which Robert replied, come on in, son, let's hear what you have to say. Mr. Robert brought several books that day, books that he admits that he probably would never read. But it seems that that young boy had mastered one very important principle, the principle of making the other person feel important. And it worked. Well, sometimes we're criticized. People say unfair, negative things about us, and sometimes we are flattered. People puff us up and make us feel better than we probably ought to feel. So how do you get to the point where neither praise nor criticism affects your life? It's hard, but we can. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be criticized. You see, in the New Testament church, there was a group of people known as the Judaizers who wanted to keep Christianity as a Jewish sect, strictly as a Jewish sect. But since Paul was determined to take the faith to the Gentiles, these Judaizers looked for every opportunity they could find to find fault with Paul. They accused him of being in the ministry just for the money, which was a joke. 
Fact is that Paul supported himself as a as a tent maker after he began his ministry so that he wouldn't be a burden on these young, struggling congregations. And those who knew Paul knew that he would he would never do anything for his own gain. The Judaizers also accused him of spreading lies and untruths. Again, they were way off base. Paul didn't soft peddle the gospel. He didn't use flattery on his listeners. He told it like it was, and, and still they criticized him. And so Paul was forced to defend himself. And so beginning with verse 5, he writes, You know that we, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask of, to cover up greed. God is our witness, he says. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. So what was Paul looking for? Well, the answer to that question lies in the second half of verse 4. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You see, Paul had no interest in pleasing people. Paul only lived his life to please God. Now, let me ask you something. Would you like to live your life impervious to the hurtful and unhelpful opinions of others? Would you like to live your life in such a way that you are not phased by either criticism nor flattery? Well, how do you do that? Well, here's the answer. Live your life to please God. There it is right there. Live your life to please God. It's a simple thing, really. If your primary audience is God, if your primary goal is to have God say at the end of your life, well done, thou good and faithful servant, then what difference would it make what other people say about you? It wouldn't make any difference at all. So how do you live your life to please God? Well, Paul gave us the answer to that, both in his words and in his deeds. And I think the first thing that we need to do is to live our lives with integrity. To please God, we need to live our lives with integrity. That's what Paul did. He says to the church in, in, at Thessalonica, For our appeal does not come from deceit or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We never came to you with flattery, nor with a pretext of greed. You see, Paul lived a life of integrity. But what does that mean? Well, living a life of integrity is much more than simply keeping the commandments of God. There are a lot of people of whom it could be said that they have never killed They've, they have never stolen. They have never committed adultery. And those who have are certainly in no position to judge others. But even if they have not, that doesn't mean that they live a life of integrity. Because, you see, keeping the commandments is an outward thing. But living a life of integrity is something that comes from within us. I heard about a newspaper writer who was conducting an investigation on the ethical practices of automobile repair shops. What he did is, is he would unplug a spark plug wire from his engine, which made the car run really rough. 
And then he would take the car into different repair shops and ask them to fix it and see what they would do. And, and time after time, the mechanics would sell him unnecessary repairs or charge him for work that they, they never even did. And so finally, he took the, the car into a, a small garage and a fellow named Fred came out, popped open the, the hood and said, let me hear what this thing's doing. After a few seconds, he, he said, I think I know what's wrong. He reached down and he said, your spark plug wire came off and he put it back on. The reporter asked, well, how much do I owe you? And Fred said, I'm not going to charge you for that. I didn't even have to fix anything. All I did was re- reattach the wire. And then the writer told Fred what he had been doing and that he had been charged all kinds of money by other mechanics looking at the same wire. And he asked, why didn't you charge me anything? And Fred said, are you sure you want to know? And he said, I happen to be a Christian. And I believe that everything we do should be done to glorify God. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary, but I'm a mechanic. And so I do it honestly. And I do it skillfully. And I do it to the glory of God. Well, the next day, the newspaper carried this headline. Christian mechanic. Honest to the glory of God. Pretty good publicity, don't you think? (laughs) You see, integrity is honesty. It's an uncompromising commitment to be truthful and trustworthy and kind. In the fourth round of a national spelling bee in Washington, D.C., 11-year-old Rosalie Elliott, a champion from South Carolina, was asked to spell the word avowal, A-V-O-W-A-L. However, her soft southern accent made it very difficult for the judges to determine if she had used the the letter E or A as the next to the last letter. So the judges collaborated for several minutes and even listened to the tapes played back. And they still couldn't determine if she used the letter E or A. And so finally, the chief judge put the question to the only person who knew the answer. He asked Rosalie. And Rosalie, surrounded by whispering young spellers, knew by now the proper way to spell this word. But without hesitation, she replied that she had misspelled the word and she had used the letter E. As she walked off that stage, the entire audience stood and applauded her integrity including dozens of newspaper reporters covering the event. Rosalie did not win that contest, but she definitely emerged that day as a winner. So do you want to please God? Then live a life of integrity. And that's a hard thing for us to do in a world like ours, because we live in a world in which spin is king. It is a common practice for prominent and influential people to to hedge the truth or to tell a little bit about the truth, a little bit of the truth or or to kind of skirt the issues there. And they don't steal and they don't kill and and they don't overtly disobey the laws of God. They simply shade the truth a little bit. So that it will benefit their image. And they use flattery and deceit. And and often their motivation is the desire for for money or, or power or position or influence. 
But my friends, let me tell you something. Living a life of integrity will not necessarily make you popular or well-known. That's exactly the story that Phyllis was telling the children a little while ago. The little puppy was not popular with the pack. But it will make you respected. And even more importantly, there is an audience of one who will be applauding you when your words and your deeds and your life are lived with integrity. So do you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Well, there's the first thing that we need to do. We need to live a life with integrity. Then here's the second. Live your life with love. Live your life with love. Paul writes, we are not trying to please people, but God. He says, even though as, a, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. My friends, the reason that Paul had such an impact on the churches that he served was that the people knew that he genuinely cared about them. As often has been said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Paul cared. And that's why he did what he did. Back in 1821, there was a young lawyer named Thaddeus Stevens who took on the case of a slave owner whose slave, Charity Butler, had run away. Well, Stevens successfully argued for the prosecution, and Butler was returned to her owner. And according to the standards of his profession, Stevens should have been elated. He won the case. But Stevens was not happy about that at all. In fact, the very opposite is true. You see, historians believe that this case had a profound effect upon Thaddeus Stevens. He knew that he had been successful in presenting his case. He had won the case, but he also knew that it was an unjust cause. And so instead of feeling good about the fact that he won, he felt ashamed. And so as a result of that, he became a passionate advocate against slavery. He went on to serve seven terms in the U.S. Congress and was the driving force between the 14th and 15th Amendments, which guaranteed equal protection under the law and gave slaves who had been freed the right to vote. In 2002, while excavating parts of Stevens' property, archaeologists discovered that Stevens had beneath his home a hidden passageway, most likely used to hide runaway slaves escaping along the Underground Railroad. You see, Thaddeus Stevens went beyond being a man who was simply honest and upright. He became a man with a cause. He became a man who was intent on pleasing God. And that became the driving force behind his life. It's kind of like something that Tony Campolo once said. He said, what you commit yourself to be will change what you are and make you into a completely different person. 
In other words, it's not the past that conditions you so much as it is your future. Because what you commit yourself to become determines what you are much more than anything that has ever happened to you before. And so I want to ask you this very simple question today. What are you committed to? Where are you going? What are you going to be? What kind of person are you going to be? You see, that's what's going to determine your direction in life. And Paul certainly had a direction for his life. He knew what he needed to do. He knew what he needed to be. And he knew that no criticism or flattery would change his directions. They would not veer him off course. For you see, he knew what it meant to live a life that was pleasing to God. A life of integrity and a life of love. Another preacher named Tony Evans said it like this. He said, when your passion upon getting up each morning is to say, how can I make God look good today? When the passion of your life is to someday open your eyes in eternity and hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. When that becomes the consuming passion of your life, it absolutely transforms your everyday experience. So let me ask you this morning, does that describe how you live your life today? If not, isn't it about time it did? How can I make God look good today in the things that I say and do? How can I live my life to please God? The answer is really simple. By the grace of God, Live your life with integrity and live your life with love because you see everything else is fluff. Amen. We're going to sing today a hymn of response, All to Thee, number 482. And that's what God is asking us to do is to give our all to Him. There may be someone here today who's never done that, never made that commitment to the Lord, never given your life to, to God, and maybe you, you're floundering out there. You have no direction in your life. God can give you that direction and wants to give you that direction. God wants you to, to live that life that He's called you to live, a life of integrity, a life that's filled with love for, for Him and love for each other. And to live that life in our words, but not just our words, most importantly, through our deeds. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, we invite you to do that today. If you're looking for a church home to be a part of, we invite you to come and unite with our church this morning. Or maybe you just need a time of prayer. We invite you to come and we'll pray.
As we sing together, number 482, all to thee, would you come? Thank you so much. There we go. <laughs> Just a few announcements to call to your attention today. Uh, first of all, let me remind everyone we are we are still in the midst of our capital campaign that we will be uh, be involved with uh, through November, and um, we are in the process of refinancing the loan on our church, and so we want to collect as much money as we can before we do that to put towards the principal, and that will. Help us in tremendous ways by uh, because we will not be financing that amount of money over the next uh, 15 or 20 years. So uh, that will bring our payments down and will help the church immensely as we do that. So as much as we can collect between now and the end of November would be a wonderful thing. And we invite you to do that by uh, just simply dropping a check in the offering plate or sending it to the church. And just mark on, on the check that it's for the capital campaign. Also, uh, we are beginning a uh, prayer ministry team, and Kirk, would you come and share a little bit about that? Good morning. Uh, every member is a minister, and so perhaps uh, you don't teach Sunday school, or you don't work with youth, or you don't teach uh, vacation Bible school, but you have an intimate conversation with God. Uh, those are the people that uh, I would like to get to know and for us to gather together sometime during the week and to pray together, to pray for our church family, to pray for our community, and to pray for each other. My contact information is on the order of worship. Thank you, Kurt. And Mary, I think you want to say something about uh, some things we have going on. A lot of you have asked about the calendars and the notepads out there. If you're not familiar with our Upward program, yesterday was incredible. It was a great day. We have over 100 children, I say students, 100 children playing in our Upward program. A lot of people spent a, a long day here, but it was very well worth it. Something new we started this year, a lot of our families have young children, ages four and under. So we have asked Miss Judy, our nursery worker, to come in on Saturdays for about three hours. And you guys, we had about 40-some kids that went through our child care yesterday. In order to help her and pay her, we have these notepads out on sale out in front. They're $4 a piece. 
And we also had the 2012 God's Creation calendar. These are $6 a piece, very beautiful calendars. And one more fundraiser, and I'm sorry to ask you to do all this. If you would please pick up a coupon for Tumbleweed, Tumbleweed all day this Wednesday, if you go in and eat lunch or dinner, they will give our church for our upward program 10% of all the meal tickets. So those are just a couple of fundraisers we're doing to help pay for our child care. And trust me, the parents love it. They can watch their older kids while their younger kids are playing. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Certainly. Uh, And by the way, since this is fall break, we will not be having dinner on Wednesday. We will be having our business meeting, but we won't be having dinner on Wednesday. So I'll meet you at Tumbleweed. Uh, one other announcement uh, on, on Tuesday, our, uh, our Joy Lunch will be meeting at noon, and so we invite our senior citizens or anybody to come and be a part of that. Uh, Rita Moyt will be here. She's, uh, she's had a program before, a wonderful singer and a wonderful personality and just a, a beautiful person. So we invite you to come and enjoy uh, that program. Bring a dish and bring a friend, and we'll have a great time of fellowship together. Let's bow for our benediction. May the God who is now and always will be go with you. May you be aware of God working within your world this week through the love that has been created in your heart and soul and mind. May you know God's glorious power alive among the children of God. And may the favor of the Lord our God be upon you and prosper the work of your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.